1: major uh, health and beauty brand. Um, Tell us a little bit about L'Oreal's
0: business for those that may not know the depths of all the things that you guys are into. Of course. So first, let me say thanks for having me. Uh, Great to be here. Great to see all these smiling faces. Transportation conference, why wouldn't they be smiling? (laughs) Um, So to talk a little bit about L'Oreal and what we do, uh, we are, as you pointed out, health and beauty. We are in many areas that I didn't actually expect. From a product perspective, Uh, we compete internally with different organizational um, product lines. And it's pretty cool to see. I can tell you that before I came to L'Oreal, I didn't know that I used some of the product. I do. You know, Garnier, a hair care brand for us. Sure enough, been using it for years. And I had no idea that it was a L'Oreal product. So very cool to, to be a part of that and see that. Aside from hair care, hair color, as you can imagine, cosmetics, um, but then also skincare, which has been huge for us over the course of the last few years, especially with COVID, the pandemic, everybody washing their hands all the time, you get that dry skin. CeraVe or La Roche Posay, mm, tight—you you can't
1: beat it. You know, I, I've talked to a lot of folks that uh, that study the economy, that track the the parts of the economy that are doing exceptionally well, even in you know, a lot of folks in this room have certainly are experiencing parts of their businesses, whether they're a provider or uh, a transportation manager running a supply chain. Parts of their businesses are, are, are soft or have softened parts of the economy. But sure. health and beauty is one of these outstanding, exceptionally well-positioned industries in a post-COVID economy. Why, why do you
0: think that that is different than, uh, you know, manufacturing or retail goods? Sure. So I can give you my perspective. I'm certainly not the smartest person at L'Oreal, that's for sure. Uh, But from my perspective, I think it's really because people now care more about themselves and how they look and their health, their actual back end of that health, not just the superficial side of it, uh, but the back end of that and really taking care of themselves the right way, uh, men included. It's been a, a huge evolution for us over time. Uh, just a few short years ago, you know, mo- many guys would avoid any sort of skincare or, or regimen just because the cliche of having one and being a man. And it's a it's a pretty
1: big deal. So when you think about transportation, the decisions that you've been making as you think about your network, we've gone through a pretty transformative time with the COVID economy, capacity shortages. What was that like for you guys in the midst of sort of the fire
0: It was surprisingly consistent. And I say that uh, really because we very much aspire to a test and learn methodology, where we try things and we try to learn and we try to get better. And that's exactly what we were going through. We had put into place in the transportation space um, a program called Backstop, and it was designed to be the catch-all, the core plus one right? We had our core carriers and then we had a backup set of carriers. It started out as three and actually went down to two, unfortunately. Uh, But it was designed to capture anything that fell out of our standard network. So we didn't have spot freight. And as somebody at a customer, uh, it was very interesting to have so many vendors come to me and say, well, what are your pain points? Where's your spot freight? Can I get in on that? Can I help you out? And we didn't have any. Because we had a network that was designed to cover that. Now, granted, it was at a p- premium price, pre-negotiated with a hundred percent tender acceptance requirement. So it was very unique and very different at the time. And this was pre-COVID that we had put that into place, knowing that the market swing was going to come. You know, you we just saw Richie talking about uh, Ben talking about the um, you know the deep dive and how it's going to swing back. We all know it's coming, and if we don't, please pull your head out of the sand. It's going <laughs> to happen. It's just a matter of time. You say the cycle is not different. It's, it's, it always resets, right? Well, it's different to the, to the degree that it's slightly faster and it's slightly more aggressive. And I don't know if it's due to speed of information. I don't know if it's due to the, you know, you hear the term uh, war chest, like have the carriers filled up their war chests. Or have the customers been able to save enough and put it into their war chest? We shouldn't be at war. And that's what it seems like uh, too frequently. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I have aspired to in my career and the colleagues that I have at our organization, fortunately, um, have gotten on board with doing our best to avoid those conflicts in a positive way cutting the valleys right filling them in and then cutting the peaks and lowering those so we're not going to have the huge swings we will still pay more when it's a tight market or potentially a little bit less when it's a loose market but it's not going to be as aggressive and as abrasive and we're going to be able to have that cost confidence that we're really looking forward to budget
1: does monday at the office feel like a storm not with microsoft copilot So, how do you do that? how do you how do you execute a strategy that you're you pay a premium above the market to get guaranteed capacity? Because I've heard situations where companies do pay a premium, but still inevitably trucks fall out of the routing guide and stuff. So how do you how do you hold your carriers accountable, reward them and send them
0: to provide capacity when there are much higher paying options in the market? It's a great question, and it does happen. No matter how strong you think you have negotiated in advance, the fact is, if the market goes above those predetermined rates, you're going to get burned. And that's not the carrier taking advantage. That's the market dictating what the cost should be over time. A lot of what you have to do is prepare executive leadership well in advance with an understanding of what the market will be in the future. Now that doesn't mean having a crystal ball, but instead it means understanding that over time, there's a trend. For the last 12 years, there's been a 2.8 to 3.2% increased cost in transportation truckload over the road over that duration of time. That's not really going to change except for maybe a little bit up or a little bit down each year. But you will have those up and down swings. And that's why I say it's the trend. It's not every year that you're gonna see that. You're gonna see those soft years. You're gonna see those hard years. But over time, there's a trend. So it's a matter of making sure that folks who are in charge of those purse strings, and I can tell you our transportation folks are not. It really does come down to the finance people behind the scenes who are telling us what we're allowed to spend money on. But if you prepare them in advance and we know how to allocate those funds, it makes it so much easier for us to do our jobs.
1: So how do you get finance on board in this market? You know, finance is dealing with, talking to a lot of CFOs, they're facing, you know, demonstrative cost increases across their business. They're getting pressure from shareholders, uh, analysts to cut their inflationary cost inputs. How do you, managing transportation, they read the headlines, uh, they, they, you know, a lot of conversation about deflation and transportation. You know, CFOs, I tend to have a short memory, at least mine does. They sure do. Um, And I think about the fact that it's always sort of what's next quarter or next year. How do you convince them or or get them to buy into the strategy that this is what's best for my routing guide, this is
0: what's best for my service? Again, another really good question. I feel like you prepared for this. (laughs) Uh, So it really does come down to the market intelligence. You know, companies like FreightWaves are fantastic for that being able to share and, and show, and this is not an advertisement, this is realistic where you use the product, uh, but it's a matter of showing folks over time what those trends look like. I actually, and this is even prior to, to joining L'Oreal, I, uh, I built a model. Now at the time it was based on CAS and a few other economic indicators, like six or eight others at the time, uh, before I had the opportunity to work with Freight Waves. And that model actually is pretty daggone close still to this day with our cycles up to the point where even through COVID, now I was two months lagging, but I was within four cents to the mile on truckload with that model. And it just shows that even though you will have some of those times when it'll pull the market forward or push it back due to various different economic factors or potentially weather-related incidents, you know, the hurricanes hitting, things change over time, but not drastically. And, you know, we, we got to see earlier today Uh, you know, the keynote with George, when he was speaking about, look at what has happened, look at the trends. And I couldn't agree more. That's where you will learn. If you don't know what happened in history, we're doomed to repeat it. So learn from it and get better for the future. It's a different way than most folks look at transportation. We're starting to get better about it, but we're going to do that by utilizing more technology, utilizing more of our informational access and that'll continue to propel us forward. It's funny you mentioned George. I, I didn't say this on stage.
1: Is I had read his book that he written in two thousand had written in 2018, 2019. He sort of predicted the two thousand election and it was sort of certain it was sort of ominous in many ways. Um but you're right. I mean these things do follow trends. Human nature is such economics is such that it just continues to play out. When you when you have gone through this process of of sort of managing your transportation spend, you know, as a as a consumer products company that's focused on um, a relatively high margin product, you have the benefit of sort of paying a premium above the market. Um, is that is are you prioritizing service and service consistency and acceptance above everything else in your decisions?
0: We sure are. Now, I say that with a caveat uh, because we have three pillars that we rely on fundamentally that dictate our success because you always have to ask what does success look like for us it's service is our number one pillar cost is number two and carbon which although it still tends to be a bad word in some places here in the states it's going to continue to become more and more important for us as a french-based company it's huge for us by 2030, we have to reduce our CO2 in transportation by 50 percent from what we were in 2019. Today, we can't do that. Is that is that realistic from your perspective? Oh, we will find a way to make it happen. No question about it, because that's what we do. I mean, George mentioned it earlier. I, he he said some really good things. I got to talk to him later about it. But uh, <laughs> but you know, he said we innovate, and he's exactly right. Nothing begets innovation like a deadline. Mm-hmm. If we know that we have to hit it, we'll find a way somehow. I will talk to so many people. I will learn so much. And I will continue to share that and perpetuate it and try to achieve that goal until we do. So, Andrew, what is your RFP process like? How often are you doing them? What is, what is driving that process? So over the course of the last few, five years, because that's a, a little over that is what I've been with L'Oreal. And uh, we started, when I came in, we had never run our own internal RFP, and I actually came into the sourcing team before transitioning onto the operations group. Um, And uh, so in building out that sourcing team, because we didn't have a transportation sourcing team prior to me joining the organization, um, (laughs) which was pretty interesting in the States considering it's over $300 in spend. Uh, So... One of the things that we had to do first of all was figure out how that process really needed to look. What we had done up to that point was evaluate the network over and over again um, through various different disjointed RFPs, I guess you could call it, but we didn't have a true clean cycle that was owned by our sourcing group. Now we do, um, but we continue to, to challenge ourselves and evaluate whether or not it's the right thing. Like I mentioned earlier, we are test and learn, and that's what we work hard to do. So what we've done up to this point is we started with an annual RFP, both Truckload Intermodal and LTL. Uh, We run a three-year cycle on our parcel negotiations. However, those RFPs, they're not the same every year, and they haven't been since joining the organization. We've really changed to the point where the last two years, we just directly negotiated with our LTL companies because it made more sense in that space, in that mode. It just made more sense for us and for the organizations we were partnered with. And you really have to ask yourselves, what does success look like for my company? What does it look like for my partners? And where do we want to go tomorrow?
1: My understanding is you guys have been doing something called index linking. Uh, sure. Basically have. looking at the market and, and that's providing you some level of flexibility to sort of flex up as the prices increase, the yeah. commoditized side of transportation that the purchase and flex down. Is that one of the reasons you're getting transportation
0: consistency? So on the truckload side in particular, the indexing for us has been tremendous, and it's something that we're really looking to move towards more and more as we move forward, Uh, just from a simple fact that if we can get into a position where we can look at the transportation fluctuations as commodity fluctuations, the market fluctuations as being an increase and decrease in commodity, similar to fuel, that for us is so much smoother and so much easier to explain to executive leadership because I can point to it in a chart, and that's the truth. And why would you want that basis risk? Why, why wouldn't
1: you, why is that a, called superior positioning
0: to just lock in in a rate with an RFP? It really does come down to making sure that we can be there for our partners. If rates are going up and our partners are locked into a rate, that routing is gonna break down. And they're going to struggle because they could be, to your point from earlier, making more money, hauling freight for somebody else. So we don't take the full fluctuation of that increase and decrease. We've got various different mechanisms in place. We call it collaring, we call it banding, different things like that. But those have really taken us some time to continue to adjust. As we go forward, we'll continue to improve. And we hope that our providers, the folks that we're working with, those carriers and those drivers out over the road, who are working a thankless job, understand how much we're doing to really be with them and be partners to them. And have your carriers bought into this strategy? Not all of them, but quite a few have, more than I actually expected initially. Uh, But as we continue to prove it out successfully and share with our carriers and discuss it more and more in depth, I'm sure that more folks are gonna get on board because it just makes sense. If I'm at a carrier, makes sense for me. Yeah, I
1: mean, the, the challenge is always as a carrier, you do these RFPs, You know, one of the large carriers told me that 40% of their network every single year turns over. They're like, we we service it. We meet the service requirements, but because an RFP, because we didn't bid as aggressively as another carrier, it turns over and that creates a lot of constraints. It seems like from the carrier's standpoint, that stability for them provides a lot of value. And and for you guys, in return, that service stability also does. That's exactly right.
0: And that's what we're looking for.
1: Is this conversation, it sounds like to get buy-in, you need to have a productive... Uh, conversation with your finance department so they understand why. That's right. And the reality of it, I think perhaps the cycle of the last couple of years has made it such that there seems like they're seeking out
0: solutions. That's exactly right. Never let a disaster go without a good solution. And we were able to capitalize on that and share internally the right way to do business, even though it may not have been what we've always done. And folks are comfortable with what we've always done but we were able to use that disaster to the benefit of everybody. Well, Andrew, really appreciate your time.
1: Thank you for coming. Uh, Enjoy the rest of your day here.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me.
1: Uh, Thank you.